All right. Go for it. Hey, guys. Welcome to our broadcast, our podcast, our three people who don't know what we're doing uh, cast. Um, <clears throat> we are here for today's uh, encounter lesson. We are in lesson six, and our passage comes from Luke chapter three, verses one to 18. And our lesson today is about repentance. Uh, before we get too deep into lesson, I need to uh, let you know about some resources we have available. We, you know, as you've heard us talk about the Cumberland Road podcast, uh, Becky's been on it. I've been on it. Chris has not been on it. He'll never be on it. Um, <laughs> that comes out every Tuesday, uh, wherever podcasts are sold. Um, then, of course, there's my podcast, the Monday Morning Mega uh, Megaphone. You can find my podcast uh, on Spotify. You can find it on anchor.fm. Uh, wherever you get podcasts, you can get the Monday Morning Megaphone. Um, and season two will start up in March of 2021. So look up, look out for season two of the Monday Morning Megaphone. Um, now, and Becky's Porch. To, and Becky's Porch, yes. Um, Becky's, uh, Becky's Porch is a devotional on YouTube. Uh, it comes out every Monday and Friday. Becky, do you want to say a word or two about that? Just look up my name, Rebecca. Zardi, and you will find me there on YouTube for a short bi-weekly devotional. Hope you can join me on my porch. Yes, I've watched a few of those, and they are quite inspirational. Um, now, for today's lesson, again, Luke 3, repentance. Here's our prayer for illumination. Eternal God, your spirit inspired those who write the Bible and enlightens us to hear your word fresh each day. Help us to rely always on your promises in Scripture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our memory verse today is uh, Luke chapter 3. Um, I'm not seeing the verse on the memory verse, but it says, John, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. All right, Chris is our author today, um, and we let's start out with the discussion question as, at the beginning of the introduction. What do you think when you hear the word repentance, confession, a change of mind, a change of action, something else? Chris, what were you thinking uh, for the introduction, and what do you want us to get from this? So this is an introduction that probably lots of ministers have seen, maybe used, but I mean, it, it's a good it's a good one. Um, in the fact that there was somebody that was troubled in mind that their life legacy would be viewed in such a bad light. And Alfred Nobel decided he was going to change that. Like he had a experience that said, um, I, I don't, this isn't what I'm about. And so set forth in, in his way to create a different ending. And that I think is truly what the gospel message is wherever you're at whatever you've been doing, no matter how terrible you've been, no matter how good you think you have been, um, the, golf, the, the gospel offers uh, a new way, a new way of living that, that will impact um, people's lives, your own life, and, and bear fruit for God. And so that's, that's where I was headed on this. And so far as the discussion question specifically, uh, repentance in Scripture is a lot larger than the one-time you know, prayer of confession, reception of Christ as your Savior, and then uh, stamping it and saying process done. 
um, but it's a process really of sanctification that every day we repent and we become a little better. I don't want to say better. I want to say we bear better fruit and we become more there like we go. Christ. Yeah, because the way you were the way you were wording that sounded like uh, yeah. progressive sanctification, yeah. and I feel like my sanctification is regressive a lot of times. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's that you know. Yes, we are saved. We are being saved and formed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. Mm. I really liked in your intro, Chris, I really liked that whole idea that Nobel had to, it was upon the inspection of his own obituary that it changed his life and his course. And, and we were talking before, this is a great exercise that one of my professors gave us. Um, and maybe it's a great exercise if you're listening today, maybe you're doing this on your own, or maybe you're in a class, but it sounds a little morbid, but write out your own obituary. Look at your own obituary, write it out how you wanna be remembered and then examine yourself to find, are you lining up with the values that you're writing about in your obituary? And I think it's great that Nobel did that because he repented maybe of some of the stuff that he was doing um, and maybe that's what we need to do too. Cause sometimes we have to look from the outside in and recognize that there were some things that, you know, some of us that think we're angels <clears throat> still have things that we need to repent from, uh, you know, and, and examine ourselves through that, through that opportunity. So that was a great intro. Really like that. Sure. And, and one thing I want to point out is repentance always always entails change and repentance is not a one-time thing. I feel like we think, I feel like we think repentance is a one-time thing. You pray the sinner's prayer and you know, that's your repentance and you and you've repented now and you're good to go. But repentance is not praying the sinner's prayer. Repentance is you reassessing what you think about God, what you think about others and, and being transformed through that. It's you saying, God, show me where I've wronged, show me where I've sinned, mm -hmm. show me, show me those things that are dwelling in me that are unclean and remove them, remove them and remove them through this sanctif sanctification process. And, uh, you know, John even, John even says in our text, you know, we, that we should bear fruit in keeping with repentance or if you're using the Christian standard Bible, it says bear fruit that is consistent with repentance. So think about what repentance is and then look at your life and ask yourself, is my life consistent with, with what repentance means? Yeah. And let me say this, cause I'm listening to it. Another danger is to say that maybe it is a recognition but it's not by sheer willpower that you become holy. It's, oh no. It is the, right. it's the baptism of, of fire, if you will, that John talks about It's the indwelling of the Holy spirit. You yes. work on your love for God and your love for humanity and, and you're formed and shaped. I mean, sanctification is something that happens by the Holy spirit while you're intentionally submitting to God and loving God more. Right. So uh, mm -hmm. I don't want to get lost just by saying, just because I, you can't will yourself to be transformed. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So just to throw that out there. Um, Absolutely. Good point. Mm. Good point. Yes. So and anything else on this introduction? I No, the introduction is pretty straightforward. I didn't have to explain myself too much. No, no, no not, not too many big words there. We got it right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next, we're uh, talking about exploring the scripture, our historical and contextual setting. 
uh, what is it you wanted us to get out of this? This is a pretty, this is a pretty good section here. Um, first, I just wanted to say that it, like, in there was a certain climate that was going on that was setting itself. I mean, you can see God orchestrating things perfectly for the coming of the Messiah. There was religious unrest. There was political unrest. There was tribalism happening and everybody was looking for a Messiah or they were looking for redemption. They were looking for some answer to the questions that were. uh, And so some people were finding it in, in bad places. And then that brings John the Baptist on the scene and says, but wait, God is sending the Messiah. And, and then John says the, the way of connecting with God, the way of finding the Messiah is through repentance. It's not through earthly endeavors. It's through, uh, it's through repenting and looking toward God. And so in that sense, John fulfills his role of preparing a way for Christ. The other thing that I would um, say that I was trying to do there is to Luke, while he was saying that the way to God is through this Jew, Jesus Christ, or this coming Messiah, or through, through this promise was coming through Judaism, Luke was very intentional about saying, but now we're pivoting. This is the whole world we're talking about. And all flesh can see the glory of God. And so, Logan, you better be, you better be nice because that dog's going to get you. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, Luke is intentional as the church in the, in the past has recognized him probably as a Gentile. And uh, while we were uh, talking beforehand, you know, even Logan brought up, uh, Luke was writing to uh, dear Theophilus, as it says in Acts. Mm-hmm. And so he was, he was writing to a Gentile. So that's what I was getting at, I think, at uh, the exploring the scripture section. We're just setting up the coming of the Messiah. And that the Messiah's ministry is not just Jewish, it's throughout the world. That's where I'm at. Yeah. Um, now, just for a little backstory for those of you unfamiliar with Theophilus, he's only mentioned twice in Scripture. He's mentioned in the beginning of Luke, and he's also mentioned at the beginning of Acts. Um, so basically, the story the story goes that Theophilus was a very wealthy Gentile. He was one of the first converts to the church. And he was trying to be discipled. He wanted to know more about this Jesus. And so he basically propositioned one of the one of the disciples, one of the apostles, to write their story. Um, and so Luke wrote his story, and Theophilus read it and was like, okay, what else? <laughs> and that's how we that's how we get to Acts. And uh, so Luke, so Theophilus actually funded the writing of, of Luke and, poss- and also possibly the writing of Acts as well. And I think it's really important that we recognize that that's that Luke, when he was setting this up, as he was trying to make the cultures and the customs of another world um, understandable to the Gentiles, because the, the Jews have entirely different customs and the way they look at the world and how they do things. And so you had to understand what was going on to understand how it was being changed or what the new direction was or why they were referencing back to the same. And the same is for us today, you know, which is why I love that you put that in to this exploring scripture. Cause a lot of times we just read through the old Testament and go, it makes no sense to me. 
how many, how many times have we read that and went, I don't get what they're saying here because it's another culture. It's another time. It's another place. And we have to really understand what was happening in that culture to understand how it's being interpreted and what, what is happening here in the new Testament with new Testament culture. And, and that's important for us to recognize that we need to take time to really look at what was happening so that we can put things into context and not just, you know, how many of us have seen those people that just pull that one verse out and go, oh, this is what it says. That's not what it said at all. You totally pulled it out of context, but you have to understand the context of the scripture and what was happening at this time to understand how to interpret it properly. Okay. So it's funny you, you bring that up because the whole reason we do historical and contextual setting in the encounter lessons is because we mm -hmm. want people to understand what the scripture is saying. And there are a yes. lot of times, probably 98% of the time in scripture, maybe that's a stretch, I don't know, but maybe 98% of the time in scripture, you can't, you can't get the full meaning of the text just by reading it at face value. Um, now, if, if you're a reader, if you like, it doesn't matter, like maybe you like reading Stephen King novels, I don't know. If you read, if you read novels or whatever, you're not going to, well, I'm not going to say that. Um, the book that you read will be all the more meaningful to you if you know about the person who's writing it. If you know about the background of the person who's writing it, there is a, uh, it, it, this is totally a, a unlogan book. This is totally a non-Logan book, but I, I like it anyway. Um, but there's a novel called The Fault in Our Stars. It was a it was a teen romance novel. I I love it, and the reason I love it so much is because I actually know about the author. The John author Green is that who? It is? Yes, yeah, I know about John Green. I know about John Green's history. John Green was studying to studying to be an Episcopalian priest. He went to seminary. He did the whole nine yards, and he was a chaplain in a hospital. And he, you know, he he kind of I think he renounced his faith at some point, or or maybe he didn't renounce his faith, but he just couldn't handle some of the some of the theological questions that he came up against, and some of the philosophical moral questions that he came up against. You know, God, why would God allow suffering? That kind of thing, and so. He got out of he got out of the the ministry. He got out of seminary and he went to writing, and that makes me appreciate the fault in our stars a lot more because the fault in our stars is about suffering in the lives in the lives of teenage children. It's about um, you know it's about this this girl and this guy are both teenagers and they have cancer and they're wrestling with that. And there's a lot of you don't catch it unless you you don't catch it unless you're a theology nerd like me, but. But there's a lot of theological references in the fault in our stars. You know, there's a, and you know, I'm not, I promise I'm not going to keep going on and on about it. But, <laughs> but the, the, you know, the, the imagery of the Dutch tulip man at the beginning, that's, um, that's, that's God in a universe that assumes Calvinism is true. Of course, nobody who's not a typical reader of The Fault in Our Stars would catch that. But, you know, I know John Green's background and I know theology. Mm -hmm. And so I, I caught that. I think that um, is important. Yes. So, you know, whenever you, my point is, sorry, my point is that whenever you know about an author, whenever you know about the setting that he's writing in, you can 
understand a lot more about what you're reading. And that's why we study the cultural surroundings of the Bible. That's why we look, that's why whenever Luke is writing to Theophilus, he includes all these meanings, all these Jewish, he explains all these Jewish customs, which is why I tell people all the time, unless you're Jewish, start with the gospel of Luke. If you, if, if you don't know the Bible. Yeah. I think within it, um, at least this, this part, uh, I did want to bring up tying it with last week where Simeon says, I think it was last week, uh, Jesus will be the cause of the rise and Mm -hmm. fall of many. And Mm -hmm. so we have this um, in Luke where uh, John the Baptist is calling for repentance among all these different people. And we know how it plays out. Some people respond, some don't, and it causes Mm -hmm. division. Yet we know that Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. And so um, I think for this week, uh, we were going to use the discussion question under this subheading as our um, kind of discussion question of the week. The Mm -hmm. last half of it is, how does Jesus bring reconciliation but also cause division? How do you reconcile Christ being the Prince of Peace as being a source of division? Um, And since I was the writer, I guess in my mind is um, we kind of talked a little bit off air and Logan probably said it, Christ, the Godhead, however you want to say it defines peace and peace on. And not only defines it, but knows what's best for us to have peace. And so again, it's one of those things to where people respond different ways. Either people respond Mm -hmm. toward God or people respond away from God or go away Mm -hmm. from God. But anyway, that's my, that's my answer. But he, but it's a, yeah, well, you, well, all I was going to say was, you know, uh, people say they want peace on earth. You know, you watch, you watch Miss America pageants. What are, you know, what do they want? Well, I just want peace on earth. Okay. Well, the, the problem is, you know, many times we want a certain kind of peace. We want peace a certain way, but that's not the way God defines it. And so that creates conflict. It, mm-hmm. it, it always creates conflict. It always creates conflict whenever we want something that God never designed us to have. It always creates conflict whenever we define something differently than the way God defines it. See, God God is the creator. He makes the rules. And if you're not playing by God's rules, you're going to have a bad time. Or, sure. or you band together and come up with other ways in which to establish peace or you know whatever it may be to, to accomplish mm-hmm. that goal. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. Becky, what about you? What do you think about I, I think that whole concept of of peace and how we reconcile between Jesus being the Prince of Peace, but yet a source of division. Um, you know, Simeon, when he talked about that in Luke, and that, that was last week's, um, that was like the first time in Luke that sorrow was kind of brought into play. Um, everything else had been awesome, and, you know, this is the the Messiah and the baby has come and now you have Simeon talking about yeah the baby's here but this baby's gonna bring some division and pierce Mary's heart and then we have John who continues in this scripture today talking about the division that you know he comes with uh, John is baptizing with water but 
this one is going to baptize with the fire and the Holy Spirit, and he's bringing his winnowing fork, and he's going to, even though he is the Prince of Peace, he is going to bring division. Right. And that's a hard concept for us to understand. I think, Logan, you hit that on the head because we, we use peace as a human concept or human construct of what's going to bring peace in my life. Well, what's going to bring peace in my life isn't necessarily what's going to bring peace in your life. Um, and we have to remember that God's not human. God is not human. He mm-hmm. is the creator of all things. And what peace looks like, what true peace looks like for humanity, God has the perfect vision of. And we only have very small fragments from our tiny little wisp of a life perspective. But it's when we invite Jesus into our life and when we truly repent and that continual repentance, when we allow the Holy Spirit to continue work through us, that changes how we view things, that changes how we see society, that changes how we treat one another. That's when we have peace. And it's when we work against that is when we have division. Um, I just wanted to point out, because we talked about last week, now that I'm thinking about it, really, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 28 through 34, I just now realized, that really sets a, um, that's that's the thesis for the book of Luke, actually, Mm -hmm. for the rest of the book of Luke. Um, Anyway, so if you're a teacher, you want to look at basically the book of Luke, then from chapter 3 on is this unfolding of Jesus being a revelation of the Gentiles, glory for the people of Israel, uh, he's a sign that will be opposed and Mary's, you know, a sword will pierce your own soul too is the last of verse 35. Anyway, I, thought, I find that interesting now that we're simply talking about it. Sorry about that. Back to our regularly <laughs> skipped <laughs> program. Uh, well, uh, do, we, do we have anything else under that uh, exploring the scripture section? No, I don't. I did just want to hit up just to keep it in front of our mind because it, it comes around like just Luke is just intentional about saying this is for all people. The opportunity mm-hmm. is for all people. Uh, and, it, and it's just a small reminder for us in the church too. It's still our goal that we are a light to all people, not just yes. a light to ourselves, but we're, we're and, and heaven knows that we'll find like John the Baptist or the early church, there will be much opposition, but that doesn't cause us to, close in on ourselves we're still a light to the world and and the message all right so that's all i got on that Hmm. digging deeper comparing scripture with scripture so Um, i really love this section like this was i like i had fun it was like a playground for me Um, (laughs) it really was because there's nothing better uh, than to reflect on on need for repentance and how it looks all of scripture and, and 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 i come to find out that when you get a broad view of scripture, your, your definitions broaden. And, and you, and like Logan said, when you know the background of things, um, uh, John, uh, John just wasn't playing any games. He, he was very, he wasn't like a lot of us today in, in preaching or being a pastor, which we had different roles. John was there for a specific purpose. And we're here, you know, as a minister, we are shepherds, but John just says, Hey, y'all are awful. And y'all don't need to be so awful. <laughs> pretty much what he said. Have you seen the uh, Honest Preacher video? I have not. Oh, I have. Yes, I have. Yes. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have. Uh, I'm gonna have Chris put the put a link to that 
in the right. uh, yeah. So in the honest preacher video, you have a pastor who gets up there and he he set he opens his Bible and he's about to read the text and he says you know what? And he closes his Bible. He goes, you know what? You're, you're all just awful. <laughs> yeah. You know, you come into my, you come into my office on Monday. You're bad. You come into my office on Monday morning and you say, oops, I did the thing. And I have to say, well, you know, God says you shouldn't do the thing. And, and I know I'm not supposed <laughs> to say who's the worst, but, but that guy in the third row, he's the worst. <laughs> and that is pretty much what happened with John the Baptist here. I mean, that's, yes. he really yes. Um, he really pointed so, out, <laughs> right? He, he says, "You brood of vipers." Again, the background of that is a viper was a bad thing in, in Hebrew understanding. Satan is always portrayed as so the Satan, like the the enemy, is always portrayed. Not always, but a prominent imagery is the snake. Whether it's in the garden, whether it was in the wilderness with Moses, whether it's in the end with Revelation, just it, it's mm -hmm. a serpent. And and if you're called mm -hmm. a serpent, you're being um, somewhat compared to a great evil. And so that's how John starts. You brood of bunch of evil people. You're terrible. And let yeah. me tell you why you're terrible. And I love how you said John is not trying to win friends and influence people with his preaching. Not at <laughs> that's all. An under, that's an understatement. No, yeah. he was not having any of it. And then it was for a purpose though. And and so, but and then there's the, the big thing too. John wasn't just he didn't dress up in a suit and say that he lived every bit of that. He, he basically, by the way he dressed where he lived, what he said, did not want to be part of a world culture that he saw as evil. And so he was yeah. really um, commenting on this uh, as a person who took it to heart and said, y'all are involved in, in evil stuff. Not only are you bad, but really the system in the world that you are in is bad. And it's almost yes. like in hearkening back to Isaiah where he says, I'm, I'm an unclean, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Right. And so, um, he was, he was very, very much trying to get the point across that everybody is awful. Yeah. And he's, what's really interesting is, you know, the Pharisees, I'm not sure if this passage gets into it or not, because I'm, I was a bad boy and didn't read the full passage before we got on here, but the Pharisees actually come out to hear John preach and he's preaching to them just like he's preaching to everybody else. And he calls them a brood of vipers. And the reason, and the reason this is so significant to me is because with the Pharisees being there, John is, John is being allowed to preach into a culture that is defined by its politics. And here's what I mean by that. Rome has taken over, and the Jews are essentially a tolerated minority in Rome or in, in mm -hmm. Jerusalem at this point because the Romans have taken over. They've got their false gods and goddesses everywhere. They've got their temples to their false gods and goddesses everywhere. Meanwhile, um, meanwhile, for those of you in my church who have heard my Christmas sermons, you would know that um, the emperor has taken over, and the reason the reason Herod is being allowed to be in power is because he's half Jewish, and he went to the Roman Senate to petition that he have the title King of the Jews. So the re so the reason people got in trouble for preaching Jesus, it wasn't just that they were preaching Jesus; they were preaching Jesus as Lord, which was Caesar's title, and they were preaching Jesus as the as the King of the Jews, which was Herod's title, and so. 
And so people who followed Jesus were attributing all of the praise and glory that that the secular society had been attributing to political leaders. They were attributing those same titles to Jesus, to whom they rightfully belonged, by the way. And, and that's what really got them in trouble. And so uh-huh. reading the Gospels, if you understand all of, all of this, the Gospels are very political, in, not in the sense that they take one not in the sense that they take one platform or one party over another side, but in the sense that they portray Jesus as the rightful king. Uh-huh. And, and my Christian anarchist buddies are right when they boldly proclaim no king but Christ. So, yeah, and I think what, so I think I can do this in this section too, because uh, so basically what John was doing was not getting this is where he wasn't getting religious and he wasn't getting political. Like you said, it, you had um, you had groups that were saying if we were just more Roman, you know, if mm-hmm. you were more liberal, if you could just get more like the culture, then things would be great. And then in the mm-hmm. religion, you had, well, if we could just get more conservative and go back to the following the law and these kinds of things. And then you had people who, you know, just probably didn't care at all one way or the other. They just wanted to get on with their life. And then John the Baptist comes in and says, you know, neither of those things are the problem. The problem is that you sin and you're evil. Yeah. And and if you would repent and get in a vital, loving relationship with God, then we can begin to see God's kingdom flourish. But don't get sidetracked or don't use politics or don't use religion as a way of a dividing for no reason. But then mm-hmm. number two, to make yourself feel better because you're not better. Yes. Uh, and so come come on back to Jesus. And yeah, then, uh, I think. You pointed that out in here. You said that they had misconception that simply because they were Jews, they were in a good relationship with God. Yeah. And that's that's not truth. And the same thing applies to us today. We have misconceptions that just because uh, we say we follow Christ puts us in a good relationship with God. And that's not necessarily the truth. You know, it's that the right relationship with God, you say later in this, means a heartfelt turn towards God and living a life full of good deeds. It's that true repentance, that true repentance that John the Baptist was talking about, that turning yourself around and following God with all of your heart and allowing him to change you. And that changes daily because things that I thought I was doing good five years ago, not so much today. You know, God has shown me through my walk, through my maturation with him, through allowing the Holy Spirit to work through me that maybe that thinking you had wasn't such good thinking after all. Well, you know, and I don't think we, I think we really need to, I think we really need to understand this because in the evangelical world, you know, we, we hear, Oh, you're saved by grace. You're saved by grace so much. And yes, it's true. We are saved by grace, not by works lest any man should boast. Amen. Justified by faith alone. But we hear that preached so much. And the way it gets preached is, well, your good works don't matter. And the testimony of scripture says, no, that's wrong. Your good works do matter. They're, and they you, don't you matter as far as, as fruits. Your, right. You uh-huh. understand them as fruits. Your good works matter um, if you understand them as fruits. That, I mean, yeah, it, it, you're not justified by your works. We get it. Right. But your sanctification, if you're, if you're, if you're being sanctified, it's going to come out as works. It's going to come out, you know, Ephesians 2.10, right after the Saved by Grace passage, by the way. Ephesians 
2.10 tells us that we were created for good works uh, and we were prepared in advance. The, the good works were prepared in advance for us to do. So, you I know. Can, with you saying that, I can illustrate this, I think, in a way that's very, very helpful. Um, so the position I'm in, I, obviously, I, I cannot take, you know, sides on Facebooks on pretty much any issue whatsoever. Um, it's helpful that way. But I can say this as I've seen interaction during the election. So, uh, and I'm talking from a Christian perspective. This is what I think John was trying to cut through. So during the election, I heard some of my Christian brothers and sisters, both on a liberal side and a conservative side, um, express opinions on Facebook or say things like, if you can vote for this person, then take me off your Facebook page. I don't want to be your friend or whatever. And I saw this on both sides. That's a fruit that was being produced. And so if you think uh, by following politics that that fruit of basically shutting people out, hating people, disregarding people, that's what John was trying to say. These things that you're doing are producing the wrong fruit. However, being in a living, vital relationship with God, it can produce a fruit by which you care more and you invite yeah. people in, at least for a conversation, whether you agree or disagree. But being in a vital relationship with God, the fruit bearing would be uh, you're uh, an agent of reconciliation and, and peace and love and all this jazz. Yes. But, but like I said, I, I get like, you know, people feel self-righteous, but, but normally it's not self-righteousness. Um, Christ calls for repentance. Like I would much rather listen to a person talk about their political persuasions when they know that they're wrong about something in their life and then go from there. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. as, as you were talking about that, it reminded me of uh, the, the passage in Galatians where Paul's talking about the fruit of the spirit in mm -hmm. five in Galatians five, 16, 17 and 18. But then he talks about the works of the flesh. Mm -hmm. And he says that, you know, two, and I, I'm not going to read the whole list, but two of the, two of the works of the flesh that he mentions in that list are hatred and dissension. All right. And so that's whenever what, you, yeah. yeah. So whenever you get on Facebook and social media and say, well, if you, if you can vote for that person, then unfriend me or take me off your friends list or whatever, that's dissension. First of all, even if you don't want to say it's hatred, even if you want to, even if you want to fake it and say, oh, I love that person, but I don't love their views. Okay, whatever. It's, it's at least dissension, and dissension is a work of the flesh according to Scripture, and so you need to work on that. Yeah, and the other, so like the example would be, and I, I hate this with a passion, somebody responds to a Trump supporter that says, oh, you support a racist, or somebody from the right, conservative right kind of thing says, how could you vote for a baby killer? These are the types of things that I'm saying, like, they're non-nuanced and they're they're not um, centered in the spirit at all whatsoever. Right. Um, right. And so that's what John is saying. Like we're getting off track. You can call somebody a name, or you can accuse them of something. But what about your heart? And John says, "Fine, whatever's going on around you. But what about you, tax collector? What about you, soldier? What about yes. you? What are you? What do you need to repent of? And so yeah. these things need to be changed. Fine, whatever. But it does certainly start with you." Uh, and we yes. don't use politics or religion to to make ourselves feel better about us being just grumpy people. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And I think you do a great job of summing all of that up at the end of that section. 
when you use the scripture from Ephesians where Paul talks about putting off the old self and putting on the new self and what living a life in spirit really looks like, you know, that you're, you're, you're not, instead of lying, you're going to speak the truth. Instead of stealing, you're going to work. Instead of speaking evil, you're going to speak words that encourage and give life, um, giving up your wrath and your anger, and instead being kind to one another and forgiving one another. You know, that is, John is talking about that repentance and Paul is talking about that same thing in Ephesians. He's, Paul's giving us a practical application of what that repentance actually looks like when you get rid of the old self, when you get rid of the worldly self and walk in this newness, this spirit filled life um, and how that changes, how you look at the world around you and how you treat people. Yes. And I think that's probably, I'm glad we didn't pass that up because repentance then is the acknowledgement of wrong done. It is the reaching out and, and saying, I am sorry, and then reconciling as best you can. But then it's also the changing to something new, right? So like, yeah. um, I remember one of my favorite, when I was writing this, I remember, you know how people say, mom said, if I can't say any ni- anything nice, don't say anything at all. Okay, yeah. that's good. But then repentance, being in that vital relationship with God is then also saying, what can I do to overcome that as best I can, right? That's absolutely you, you know, you brought up that passage in, in Ephesians, and um, one of the things I mentioned whenever I preached through Ephesians back over the summer was that um, whenever Paul gets down to the very end of Ephesians, and he's talking about how to interact in your relationships with one another, he actually addresses every part of the curse that was, that was, that was proclaimed in Genesis 3. So in Genesis, in Genesis 3, whenever God is announcing all these curses he says that there's going to be a curse laid on the woman in childbearing well what's the answer to that what's the answer to the to the curse in in childbearing and child raising well it's children obey your parents well there's a curse on the marriage between the man and the woman uh his her desire is going to be or his desire is going to be to to overtake you or you know something like that what's the answer to that curse in genesis 3 well the answer to the curse is ephesians 5 uh, wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives. Well, there's a curse on the way you work because the thorns and thistles are going to grow up. Well, what's the answer to the curse of work? Um, slaves submit to your masters, masters treat your slaves well. Okay. So Paul Paul says, you know, you the, the curse can be reversed, but what it requires is it requires for you to repent. And, Repentance and fruit. Yes. Right. Yep. Treating one another as human beings. Who knew? Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, but that, I mean, that's pretty much, that was, the, John, I think, just did a good job of saying, mm-hmm. don't get distracted by the worldly things and forget repentance. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, personal repentance. Yep. And that's all I got there. All right. Um. Our next session section is learning from scripture, the witness of the church. Um, and what can we take away here? Um, I remember when I first became a Christian, not enrolled into the Bible college. I remember a guy uh, preaching at a chapel service and, and two things stuck out and he was preaching about John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist, uh, one of his statements later in Luke, I think it's Luke. It's one of the gospels where Christ or John the Baptist simply says uh, he must become greater and I must become less. 
And I just remember John the Baptist being that person that constantly pointed to Jesus as, as salvation and as, you know, the, the true, uh, the truth of God. And so I have that in my mind. Uh, when I'm, when I think of John the Baptist, I think of the ministry of witnessing and pointing to Christ. And so, um, and then how we do that as individuals, but then that is the role of the church. The church is the lone voice crying in the wilderness, preparing a path for God. And so that's where I was at there. Mm -hmm. A a lot of this we kind of talked about in the last section. Right. And I don't want to get on that again, but. Right. Uh, But I like how you said John knew his place as one under authority. He consistently pointed to Jesus. The religious leaders of John's day had made themselves the gatekeepers of morality and regulators of who was in a proper relationship with God. This pride led the religious leaders and ultimately the people who followed them away from God. Jesus summed up the work of these leaders by saying they are blind guides of the blind and both will fall into a pit. That's that was the, the, the landscape of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now that you said that, I need to. I didn't do a hundred percent good job here, but I did get. I did good enough because it's there. Uh, <laughs> I think the other thing I want is people who are reading the encounter. You're an individual church member. There are going to be times like you just read, Logan. Sometimes churches go sideways. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if you've noticed, but some of our churches aren't exactly on target. Not when I say our churches, I mean church collective. I'm not accusing a denomination or anything. I'm just, just churches wander in the wilderness and they get, they get involved in things. And sometimes you need a person in the church to say, Whoa, where are we headed? Where are Mm -hmm. we going? Mm -hmm. And then you might need somebody like John the Baptist. And here's the thing. If you're being authentic before God, if God has given you a message, you might not be received at your local church just like uh, Jesus in the next lesson is going to get, you know, booted out for his sermon. If you're having an authentic, this is, you have to be mature enough to know the difference. If God has given you an authentic message of, of uh, that our church is going in the wrong direction, then you speak. And then sometimes you might not be received there, but that doesn't mean your message was wrong. And so John the Baptist was able to talk to the religious people and say, you're wrong. And then he didn't lose his voice either when he talked to the secular leaders and said, man, y'all are wrong too. Y'all have got to get back to God. And so that's where I was coming from for that is that God does give us a message individually as a church. And, um, and when we're in tune with God, we can lend our voice, but sometimes we'll be a lone voice. It might happen, but you're still faithful to it. Sure. You reminded me of that text in, in Revelation 3.20 where uh, J- Jesus is talking to one of the churches and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will hear my voice, I will come in and I will sup with him and he with me. And um, it, it we, we so often use that text as like an altar call, as like an invitation. And we say, Oh, well, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. No, Jesus is knocking on the door of the church because the church has forgotten him. Yeah. The church is functioning. The church is functioning, and they don't realize he's even out of the room. Right, and mm-hmm. and so we need to understand. We every church needs to reevaluate, stop, and reevaluate, and say, okay, are you know, is Jesus actually here among us? Are we actually mm-hmm. functioning the way he wants us to function, mm-hmm. or are we just having a social club? 
Yeah, and I'll say that that's up to individuals in the church too. And, and like I said, you don't cause division. This is because uh, I see this. It's like somebody takes it as their mantle to make sure that they blow up some part of the church because it's not going the right way. I mean, ah. the thing that you do is is peace, patience, joy. You know, the fruits of the spirit. You you don't set out to just completely. John the Baptist did, <laughs> but you know you got to be sensitive to the call of God in your life, the message God has had is having you proclaim, and then your conduct is becoming of those that bear fruit as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. If you, I mean, if you feel like you're called to do a John the Baptist, then all right, go for it all the way and dress up in camel's hair. And <laughs> I better see you. I better see you in the pulpit with a handful of locusts and honey. And <laughs> it just, you know, but that's what John the Baptist did. And that's what repentance is. It is sure. a change of direction. And it happens with us as individuals. It happens with a church as an organization. And yes. then God calls people to be active, you know, prophets, yeah. callers of yeah. change. And so that's how the church works. Yeah. You know, I, I love that you guys are talking about that. Cause I think that's one thing maybe, uh, as churches, we don't understand. And it's something that uh, being new to the pastorate and only having been in the pulpit three years um, that I understand with my congregations is that God calls churches to specific tasks, that God calls churches. And you say in here that the church's power comes from submitting to Christ. And when we collectively, as this group, submit to Christ, there are different things that each church is going to be capable of. There's going to be different gifts within each congregation that we're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do. And that's when we bring a little piece of the puzzle. Each one of us has an opportunity to fulfill that particular role. And you really kind of close the section with that, with a great thought from that. You said the Holy Spirit empowers the message of the good news to transform the hearts of individuals. And then these individuals then transform the societies they live in. So, you know, maybe you are, I don't know, eating locusts. I'm not into that. Um, ugh, that just sounds so gross. I know. I'm sorry. I know there's a lot of people that do that all around the world. Oh, enjoy. Yeah, all around um, the world. <laughs> all around the world please enjoy if that's what your culture does i i won't be participating with your meal um but <laughs> but that's what god calls us to so maybe you are in a church context where you recognize that you know something's amiss and maybe the holy spirit is working in you but it's working within you not to divide and not to cause dissension but to bring unification and maybe you just, whatever you need to do, just work through your church context because there's a purpose for your church. There's a purpose for your context. And I guess I should say this too. Sometimes there is reasons for divide. I mean, that that's what Simeon says. That's what Jesus says. That's what John the Baptist says. I mean, there might be, but that doesn't mean you have to be the most destructive force ever. If, if in your vision from God, you have to divide, then you have to, but you don't have to make it pure heck on everybody else either. Um, so I just want to point that out there. there. You don't have unity at all costs because that's not scriptural anywhere, right? Not even the John Wesley quote or whoever, you know, in all things, what is it, in opinion, charity, and in, in something love, I forgot what it is, but um, 
unity. I forgot how it is, but a lot of times churches use that to say we can disagree, which yes, we can, but there, but, mm-hmm. but in essentials, you have to have unity uh, or you have to have things right. And sometimes I question what we call essential, but there are going to be some things that you might have mm-hmm. to divide over and do so mm-hmm. amicably as much as you can. So anyway. True. Right. Absolutely. All right. I promise I'm done. Talk too much. <laughs> Any, anything else on learning from the scripture? No, 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 no. I don't think so. I'm good. All right. Applying the scripture, sharing insights in the covenant community. What you got? Um, so I will say this, one of the most influential people that neither of y'all have ever heard of, and one of the most powerful spiritual people in the world passed away a couple months ago. Uh, and I say that because I, I've come to realize like the church is filled with no name, amazing people, and that the world has changed because they live and nobody else outside of their little sphere of influence ever knows them. But there was a, a guy named Doc Reese, uh, Dr. Reese, he was um he was a professor at the Bible college. He had like, I don't know, two PhDs, knew like 57,000 languages and just, but he, he modeled Jesus to, you know, generations of people at this Mm -hmm. Bible college and, and just was an amazing man. Anyway, um, he died. And uh, that, like I've said here in the, in the uh, applying the scripture section, it was a cause of a call from one of my friends. And, and this is just typical Doc Reese stuff here. Um, and Doc Reese was one of those people like me. I couldn't do that. I'm still not spiritually. Um, I don't know. Maybe I could to my kids, but honesty is hard for me <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> like I know something needs to be said, but far be it from me to be the one to say it. Cause I want to be the one of peace. <laughs> and then I think, how, right. But then I yeah, think, you know, yeah. I sit in the situation, I'm like, but I'm being destructive because I'm allowing something to go on that is not pleasing to God. But mm-hmm. I tell myself, yes, but I, but I am a tool of peace and unity <laughs> because that, and then I think, nah, nah, but somebody like Doc Reese had this, uh, what I think I that's why you were able to stay at one church for 12 years. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> I have good people and God loves a fool and is graceful to a fool like me. That's how that helped her happen. But no, so I was thinking, this is how I understood this John the Baptist, Baptist spirit is Doc Reese because he called me out on a couple things. And, and though it hurt, I knew it came from a place of love. And, and I think that's mm. what Doc Reese had this spiritual connection with God to be honest before God and to be honest with the people around him. And he would call people out in such a way that honored God and did not destroy those uh, that he, he called it out. And I think this is the role. And so that's, that's why I put this in here. I mean, you know, it's, mm-hmm. I, I'm amazed because people do, there are people in the world that are connected with God enough to be a John the Baptist, to speak the truth yes. without liking it, right? That's the other thing that I've, people yeah. encounter. Like sometimes I think people jump at the chance to tell you how wrong you are. <laughs> I get a lot of letters sure. about the encounter, <laughs> 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 right? And then the second thing would be is that somebody is strong enough to do it when they know God's glory is at stake. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and I will say this about my friend. Um, he told me that that was the time where he knew he had to become a person of God. Like he just was riding the coattails of being part of a preacher's kid's family, you know, and, you know, mm. doing the Bible college thing and whatnot, but he had never 
put himself to the work of of ministry and so it was time it was time to do it now and so and ultimately wow. he's got a church in california that's got like you know six seven thousand people and and so good for him and it was because right. somebody like doc reese could stand for truth and mm. so wow what a beautiful story yeah oh yeah so beautiful story the the do at the end of that is examine yourself this week are you bearing fruit what are you doing or not doing that is keeping you from producing a greater harvest for god do we have anything else on this no i I think think what i've said is what i do like it's just this maybe i'm just not connected enough to be able to put myself out there to to say hey um that's one thing I suffer from. My fruit should be a little more confrontive, maybe not combative, a little more upfront when I say ah. something bad. Yeah. Oh. I think you ended this lesson with a bang. I think, you know, the entire lesson, everything that we talked about, everything that you wrote about was all about that closing line that you had. That yeah. The thrust of John's message is this, yeah, repent, I- but more than confession, do better and live a life that bears good fruit. I will say this was That's my favorite lesson to repentance. write. Repentance. Yeah. yeah. It I'm was not, excellent. Well, we'll see. That remains to be seen. But I <laughs> think it's pretty Okay. Good. I thought it was excellent. I thought it was excellent. It really it I, was. It was confrontive. It really was confrontive with a lot of aspects, um, but out of a place of love in, in the writing, because it, it does cause you to really think about what is true repentance? What is true repentance for the individual? What is true repentance for the church? And are we, are we doing that? Are we truly repenting? Or are we just yeah. giving a lip service? Uh, you know, I, Chris, I think you knock it out of the park every time you write a lesson, but this is probably the best one you've ever written. My mother thinks so too. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, um, I will say this, like for those listening, here's the thing about the encounter. You know, certain it's like preaching. Certain people love certain types of preaching. Certain people love certain types of writings. It's, it, you know, you get letters from from people who are like, this is the greatest thing I've ever read. And you get letters from people saying like, how, how did you get out of seminary? Right. So right. like, and, and that's part of the encounter writing. But I do appreciate, I want to make sure I take time for a second to say, Rebecca and, and Logan, both of y'all have helped me transition this into a new thing in a new way, which overwhelmingly has been received well. Like I said, minus some things, but they're, they're not bad. And so for the writers coming up, um, thank you. And for all of you who use the encounter, a deep thank you. And, and, and if for some reason you're, you've stumbled upon these things and you haven't used the encounter in the past, uh, try it again uh, because we've changed a lot of stuff. And it and, and we focus more on biblical content, a little less on, um, you know, it's not as story driven. I think we we're trying to reach the uh, middle way between John MacArthur and Fred Craddock, I think is what we're trying to do is a good way to, to say that if you're not familiar with those two gentlemen, um, go have fun on YouTube and, and find these we're getting, we're trying for those to, of, for those of you who don't know what, who either of those two guys are, we're trying to reach the middle way between a Sunday school teacher and a preacher who don't know when to shut up. Right. Right. <laughs> That's pretty much what we're trying to do. And, and I think we've done it. 
Um, it'll take some getting used to, but again, thank you for everybody. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, Logan, for uh, hosting today. And then we'll be back next week for the next lesson. And here fairly soon, Lord be willing, uh, you'll get your uh, spring encounters uh, in the mail, but it's the mail. So soon it's coming. All right. Well, thank you guys. Blessings. <laughs>